Hi, my name is Claire and I'm the mother of three teenagers with FESD. I'm Jessica, a PhD researcher specialising in educational interventions for children with FASD. And together we are the hosts of Spotlight on FASD, the UK's first podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASD is a condition caused by prenatal alcohol exposure that affects hundreds of thousands of children across the UK. And we're here to bring these conversations out of the shadows and make sure that no one living with FASD feels alone. Hi and welcome back to another episode of Spotlight on FASD. Um, as promised in a previous episode in our education season, we said that we were four, episode four. We said that we were going to um, do a, a quick little episode. I'm going, to, I'm going to try not to talk as much during this episode. We're going to do a quick little episode about what what it looks like when. Um, Everything appears to be fine in school, but the, well, what may be labelled as behaviours, the challenging behaviours, which are symptoms, are exploding or unravelling at home or the minute they're out of the school door, out of the school gates. Because I think this is something that I have come across so many times working with, um, especially working with CAMS professionals. And I know CAMS can often get a, a really... A bad rap um but there's so many comes clinicians that i've spoken to who, who it is equally as frustrating for them when they're saying you know i've got mom or dad or, or or some a carer saying that they cannot manage what is happening at home and it's because of school but school is saying yeah, that sounds like a different child yeah absolutely absolutely fine all day educational psychologists as well and I've spoken to educational psychologists who've gone into school and done observations and have written reports and left saying well you know there was a few little things that would suggest anxiety like you know rocking or chewing on on their jumper sleeve or something like that but nothing that in any way matches up with what the parents are saying are happening back home and this is it's that's really important, especially if there's no diagnosis as well, and you still don't know what you're dealing with. But and I think to be to be fair to the to teachers, to education professionals, they are telling the truth mm -hmm. because that's all they can do. They can only report back what they are dealing with during that school day, during the play times, lunch breaks, and they're not dealing with those difficult situations or those extreme behaviours. But I think where it becomes a problem. As I know from a from a CAMS professional point of view, a few of them I was speaking to not very long ago, they were saying that they felt they totally stuck between two camps because they absolutely knew that it was the school day that was causing all of this difficulty, yeah. but that the child was like this master of survival, containing it all until they got home, but school just would not have it that it was even anything to do with them so I think what I would love to get out of this episode that if if there are any teachers and um, education professionals listening to this now you where you know the next time because you you will come across that situation for every different diagnosis every different yeah, situation yeah. where a child is able to mask and, and we know that girls are better at masking um, and do it more and more often so 
I think my, my ask of you is that the next time that happens, to accept that 99% of the time, there is absolutely no way a parent or a carer is going to make up or kind of have any reason to lie about the fact that, you know, if they are saying to you that what has happened in the school day and the fact that their child has had to hold it together and cope with the sensory overload and cope with surviving the school day, the way it's been delivered to them without, you know, possibly with no adjustments to it, they would never make that up, you know, because it's, it's, it's not a very nice feeling to have to say, you know, this is, this is going terribly wrong when we get home and I, I'm struggling to handle these situations. Very few parents want to be having to have that conversation with any professional. So the fact that they're doing it, you've got to just take that at face value and accept that that is what's happening. And, you know, if you've, if you've got a, um, a parent or a carer who's saying that, you know, I, I, this is what it is, this is why this is happening, you've got to look into that and you've got to accept that. Um, and I can appreciate how difficult that might be to think, right, well, what am I meant to do? Because, you know, little Tom is behaving perfectly well. Yeah. Or what do you want me to do? There's nothing I can do, but but you need to um, kind of start and look at it through, certainly through sensory <clears throat> overload eyes. Um, and, you, and you've got to work together with the, with the family, with the carers and any professionals involved to accept that. You know, the bulk of that child's time is during the day, midweek is spent in school. So, so it stands to reason that that is why a lot of that is spilling out when they get out of school. But to step, to step, take a step back from that, there's challenging behaviours coming out at home at the end of the school day that the parents, the carers, are are struggling to cope with or or are coping with, but they're becoming you know overwhelming or unmanageable or or you're simply seeing your they are manageable and you're simply seeing your child in distress at the end of the school day like something has you know something spilling out but we go back earlier in the day and they've been fine fine all day in school now what what has happened now or, or generally speaking at least, is when, when they've been faced with tasks and requests as part of the school day through those uh, traditional education approaches that they can't cope with, the sensory that we've talked about before, sensory overload in the classroom, um, they've been overstimulated, they've been overwhelmed, they're dysregulated, whatever it is that has happened, they're masking. So they're really, really struggling and they've just been able to put on this front of no, fine, everything's fine. And as, as Claire described, they're masters of, of disguise. They, you know, unless you really, really, really have a thorough understanding of FASD, you probably wouldn't see it. And it's that that needs addressing. So it's that moment when they're masking whatever, whatever it is you need to find the moment when they're really not coping and they are masking and put those supports in place. And that's really, really hard because 
you, you don't necessarily know what it is that they need support with. You, you can't, it's hard to find out what part of the day they're struggling with that's causing the masking, that's causing everything to bubble up and the behaviours at home. And I've seen this fantastic resource that I know um, some parents have used that um, helps children visualise what's going on. And it's uh, a little picture, it's a diagram of a volcano and it's like it's it's bubbling up it's bubbling and it's simmering and it's simmering and it's simmering and as soon as they're at home in their safe place where they can relax and i use the word relax in a very different way here than you know hot bubble bath with some candles as soon as they are able to release those masks the volcano erupts and the pressure of of trying to cope has gone completely because and they, they just can't do it anymore but that's been simmering all day and all of these things playtime lunchtime the social interaction with other children in the playground that's caused bother so that's made it simmer that little bit more and it's just been building and building and building but if you can't see that and you're not aware of that and you don't know about FASD and the child, child doesn't have a diagnosis and you don't know what to be looking for that how do you put something, you know, yeah. we understand that this, this can be an impossible situation for many people. So what we're trying to do is just back up the parents and carers really, as Claire said, if they're telling you that that's happening. I think, I think a very, very simple, but very powerful thing that you could do is if you are, um, you find yourself in that situation um, as a, an education professional and you've got a, a parent or a carer saying, you know, this is this is what's happening at home. And then, or the, this is what's happening the minute we get to the car um, and it's going on for two hours after school. Even if in the first instance you respond with something like, oh, right. We need to get to the bottom of this then. Yes. Rather than Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine that because he's she is absolutely good as gold in school. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't even sound like her. I can't imagine that because you are trying, you are instinctively trying to reassure mm -hmm. that parent or that carer, which is which is a lovely, mm -hmm. compassionate, nurturing thing to do. However, it has the total opposite impact. And because that that parent or carer doesn't it in a way yeah, yeah. because they're already at the you know at the a point where they're thinking what is happening what am i doing wrong if if, if you know because i'm not getting any phone call from school this isn't happening in school what am i doing wrong that it's happening at home mm -hmm. and then you know a, a parent and a caregiver they understand they are the expert of that child normally yeah. There will be exceptions to the rule, but normally they are. And you can kind of sniff out, or a conversation might happen at bath time, where it could be that the boy that sits opposite constantly rocks on his chair or bangs, or there is, you know, swinging double doors outside of the classroom door and they're banging. You know, the, the, they will let you know what's going on. So, you know, you would just be... I always say this, but parents and carers who are coming to you to say, look, this is what's happening. What can we do? They are absolutely your treasures as professionals. 
use their expertise, use their suggestions. Because if you engage with them positively and just say, right, what, what do we do? What do we do? Chances are you will be, if, because if they've reached the point where they come at you to say, this is what's going on, chances are the next thing that's about to come out of their mouths is, if you try this, I think this will happen. Their toolbox, their entire yeah. toolkit yeah. will come out of their mouth and yeah. be handed yeah. over. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's like a, we need to work, work a little bit better together um and you know just to point out the fact that where you think you are probably reassuring a parent saying they're absolutely brilliant in school i can't i absolutely can't understand this what an end of their tether parent he is there is well that's just clearly something you're doing wrong because i cope with 29 of the kids and yours and there's no problem yeah. and that's not what you're saying but that's what they're hearing yeah, exactly. so you, you you might be thinking that sounds a bit odd but even if you, if you can just greet it with right what do we do what do we need, what do we need to look at have you got any ideas and i would be amazed if they didn't already say well i was thinking if you could do this do this move this ask them to do this give them this job um and they will be able to help you navigate that because ultimately if they you know they will have narrowed everything else down. They will have done everything with the routine at home. And if they have absolutely know that it's school that's causing this, then they will have come up with lots of different things that you can do differently in school because they're the ones who are having to deal with it. And ultimately, nobody wants their child to suffer like that. Nobody wants their child to have survived a school day to the point where they break down at the end of it that is so exhausting it impacts on then what they will eat at dinner time that will then impact on how they will sleep and then everything just gets more and more and more difficult and that is when we get disengagement with education yeah. because a child is just too exhausted to engage and it has so, it's going to have a knock-on effect throughout the week and mm -hmm. You know if, if they've not eaten very well they might not sleep anyway we've spoken about that in previous episodes but if if they've not eaten properly their sleep will be impacted if their sleep's impacted getting up to go to school the next day is going to be impacted if you're late to school and you've got 29 other children going oh where have you been you it's 11 o'clock that's going to impact that day and it just it it rolls on throughout the week and you know it's the, the only thing I think educational education professionals can do here is, like you say, Claire, respond with, what do I do? And then start to gather the data. Now, that sounds very scientific, actually. But what I mean by that is gather, gather all the information you can from the parents because they are the, the expert in that child. And then start gathering, you know, if, if FASD is mentioned, gather all the information that you can about FASD. Then start observing the child, gather all the information that you can. Like, can you see, can, like start observing that, you know, is, do they get a little bit more fidgety as we're in the run up to lunch? Is that, do, you know, do we know if that's because they're hungry or is that because they're anxious? Or is that because lunchtime is hugely problematic? And we're not saying this and we don't say any of, of what, what we share in these podcasts as trying to burden anyone or add to workload. You know, we know how unbelievably stressed and 
and pressured and you know education professionals their workload is sky high we know that but it's just in the back of your mind it doesn't even need to be consciously in the back of your mind just one eye on little tom in the corner whose mum's having a really hard time when he gets home and it's you know oh i've actually noticed that he gets quite unsettled right before lunchtime okay let's explore that further I can give you a shortcut to the data. So I love how your Jessica is such an academic. <laughs> gather the data. I'm like, right. Do you want to have a look inside my head? Because that's where it all is. But, yeah. but there is your shortcut to the data. Because I'm telling you now, as a teacher, education professional, whatever role you play, if you have a meaningful conversation with a parent or a carer and you just say, right, what should I, where should I look? Where should I start looking? What do you think? What do you think could be happening in the school day? You will be presented with as much data as you can possibly cope with. That you know, there isn't a parent or a carer who wouldn't say, actually, um, what would will you find out what happens at lunchtime? Will you have a look at what happens at break time? When they're told to sit quietly, I think this could be happening. They will be your navigator and your shortcuts because you you know, as you would love to have the luxury to think, right, I'm just going to observe him for a little minute, but you've just got everything else going yeah, on. It's not about to take that time. Yeah. yeah. So, but, so that's why parents and carers, especially the ones who are coming to you and being proactive and like, we need to sort this out. Use them, use their knowledge. They will want to do anything in their power to help you help them and help their child. You know, so it's it's not a it's certainly not a criticism. It's just, but it happens over and over and over again, um, and it's and it is a big problem. And if you can get like five ten minutes at the end of the school day or something, when everybody's left, when this parent has come to you to have this conversation in the first place, you know that those proactive parents, like really really valuable here, as Claire said, but bring them in. Say right, that's the seat that they sit in. That door's usually open. This is where we go to pick up the books. You know, just a quick, a quick lay of the land. The parent might word vomit on the spot. They might go away and come back and be like, right, okay, that's a problem. Can we try this seat? Because now I've seen the lighting, I've seen that's a problem. It'll be reflecting off that glass there. They're way too close to that open door over there. If that's where the children are all going to pick their books up from, they've got to walk around my child, which is going to disturb them. And that, you know, will very, very quickly start building, building that picture, as Claire yeah. said, and it is, it's, it's piecing the jigsaw together. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it's, whilst they're coping with school, whilst they're, they're fine in school, that it, it's, it's a very, very quick, steep downward spiral to disengagement with education as they, get older and are going through the years um, in school and, and whilst they're coping and managing at, at this stage, once it starts spilling out into home, it's, you know, you, you're at the top of that, that spiral. I think something that I always remember is when, um, when you do first aid training 
if there's ever been any kind of an accident, you're always told, you know, you make your way to the person who is making the least noise. Yeah. Not moving. They are your priority, not the person who's screaming because you know that they are breathing and they are alive. You go to the person who isn't. Um, and, you know, we talk about fight, flight, freeze, and, and we know that our children hover in it, above it, or just about into it all the time. And what you might find, this um, child who is super pleasing, who will accommodate, who just really requires barely any input and is just under the radar. But if you know anything about their background that would make you think, yeah. I can't believe how well behaved they are. That is terrifying mm -hmm. because they are in freeze. Like their bodies is coming as close to kind of fake and being dead yeah. as they can. So as not being conscious. Yeah. yeah. So and, and they are and, and so you can imagine that level of energy and that level of strength and power because their body wants to just shut down and die but they haven't adjusted right i need to walk that way because it's dinner time now and i need to pick me trail and i need to sit down and then so you can imagine when they get to their safe place they have got no control over what happens to their body after that and they fall apart um and you know it is a lack of control and it is these are symptoms that we're talking about it's not yeah you know when we say behaviors and things it's it's symptoms. They're symptoms. They are symptoms. But to the to the naked eye, especially if there's no diagnosis in place or there's just a, a question around a diagnosis, to the naked eye, what you are looking at, what you are dealing with in that moment of very, very difficult behaviours. That's the only way you can describe them if you don't know that they are symptoms. But that's you know, in the heat of it, that's what you're dealing with. And I just think that I have, we've had so many conversations about it. And we knew we were just going to do a short little episode about this, just to put it to the forefront of people's minds, um, to the parents and carers who are living this life. You don't need to just tolerate that. Speak to your school, you know, work together with them. That That is not our children don't need to be suffering that day in, day out. It's not fair, it's barbaric, it's horrible, it's exhausting. It affects everything and it will eventually lead to disengagement. Trust me, it will eventually lead to disengagement. And, and that, is, that, that, is a, that is a place that you want to avoid at all costs. Um, because, you know, I, I thought, you know, the level, of, the level of knowledge that I had and the level of effort that I was putting into my children staying engaged it even stuns me sometimes when I realise that, that 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 I haven't been able to achieve it for all for all of them, and it's just it is terrifying. It's a terrifying thought, but it's actually not difficult to stop it from happening and to resolve it if it already is happening. Yeah. And I think that's what I want to say. I want to say it's within your gift as teachers, as professionals. It is absolutely within your gift if you communicate with that parent or carer, then you can. You can stop, you can balance the scales mm -hmm. as, as best as you possibly can. Um, so I think it's, it is something that is achievable and it would just change the outcome yeah. of that child's yeah. educational journey and therefore their life. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a criticism, it's not negative, it's just kind of saying this is happening, it's happening to so many people we need to just start talking about it a little bit, accept that it's a real thing, 
accept that there isn't a parent who's going to make that up because why 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 would they why would they want to have that uncomfortable conversation if it wasn't actually happening um you know like you know i'm getting kicked in the head all the way driving home from school no one's going to want to make that up and admit to that it is happening so school need to accept that that's where they've been for the like six and a half hours before that so that is that has inevitable that it's played a role in that spilling out of the child so like that's just that's really what we wanted to get across that it's something that we need to um remember is there and it is very real but there are lots of things we can do about it yeah and it's a huge part of education a yeah. huge 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 part of education to the point where you know you, you you'll have parents and, and carers dreading that pickup time as well knowing what's to come which which again is you know it's heartbreaking for the child to have to go through that and and suffer that um loss of control and and everything else but also for the parents and it's not it's you know it, it's not a life that anybody wants to think that anybody's living if there is something really simple that can be put in place and it's, it's a simple adjustment. It's not simple to find, it's not simple to identify, but the adjustment will be as simple as... Nine times out of 10, it, it, you would probably be astonished at what it would take mm -hmm. to tip those skills, to have a little bit more of a balance. Yeah. If you're dealing with FASD, if you're dealing with this brain injury, you are never gonna be able to get the skills even. It's always gonna be very, very difficult for a child to be able to... Um, you know, be completely comfortable in school because then the trying to navigate that school day without a safe person with a brain injury. So it's always going to be tricky, but there are ways that we can make it so much more manageable for them and, and enjoyable that, you know, they absolutely deserve to be able to enjoy their experience. And, and when, not just I think just, just to add on to that very, very quickly, I think when you find the thing that helps, if it's moving to another seat for example um or putting some adjustments in place in terms of the work that they're trying to complete um it's part of a much bigger toolbox don't don't be fixated on that one adjustment as being the solution because um as elsa who who we had on last week who we spoke to um last week's oh no not last week's episode two episodes ago she always says the only consistency with fasd is inconsistency so be prepared to work through that toolbox and that's another reason why building that relationship with with the parent or caregiver and asking for their help having that response of okay so what do we do and when that stops working then what should we try and when that stops working what would you recommend do we go back to plan a or should we try and search yeah. together for plan d and when plan D stops working, what do you suggest we do? And having that continual conversation and be ready. And if it is as simple as moving them to a different seat within the room, be ready, keep moving, keep yeah. moving. And one day it won't be the seat, it will be the light. And it won't, then another day it won't be the light, it will be the door. And it's accepting that though, it's, it's, you know, it's accepting that it's not, that 
that child, that young person, like they don't want those difficulties in their life. No. They're not, it's an, it's inconvenient, but they are real. They're very, very real things and they need to be, you know, taken seriously. Um, and apart from anything else, chances are that, you know, if, if this is happening to a child and they're masking and then they're coming home from school and falling apart, as the week goes on, you are getting, you know, you might be able to sit back and think, actually, yeah, by, by like a Wednesday, Thursday, you know, yeah, they're nowhere near the most difficult child in the class, but they're struggling, they, the work takes a dip that yeah, you can see, because they're going to be absolutely exhausted. If you think, like, as an adult, if you imagine a situation where you have been so scared and so stressed for a full day, but you've had to just go about your business, you you know how exhausted you would be that night when you got home. Mm -hmm. And to do and to then be doing bath time, trying to relax, watching whatever you're going to watch on the television and going to bed, knowing that you have to do the same thing all over again the next day, that is absolutely exhausting. Um, so yeah we just wanted to put it in the forefront of your minds um you're all doing a fantastic job we you know we i have always said this and i'm absolutely in awe of the, what teachers have to juggle on their plates what they have to have in their toolboxes mm -hmm. um and we just want to be able to assist that's what we want to do definitely not a criticism we just want to be able to help a little bit and um put our perspective on the thing so we hope that it's helped in some way um and thank you for listening and we will speak to you again do get in touch if there's anything that you know if we can point you in the direction of a resource or anything like that if there's anything that that we can do to to support it that bit further do get in touch